Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Another episode of the Wellness Collective, Cecilia. How are you today? I'm good. See, That's the last good. couple of uh, podcasts that we've put out, you yes. haven't been here for that start bit, and I've been a bit lonely. Oh, I'm sorry. So I know. I'm, nice I'm to rarely have you here anymore. Well, I like to be here in person. It mm. kind of helps. You are well, very lovely in person. You know what? Today, I'm not so happy about what. I am wearing a long sleeved woolly thing on my body, mm-hmm. and it means that the seasons are changing. Winter is coming. You have a turtleneck on. <laughs> And you look like Velma. That's right. If you've checked out our Instagram, yes. you'll see that my new look is Velma from Scooby-Doo. She sends me a text message the other day from the Country Road change room and it's her with this jumper that's orange and she says, I am totally buying this, knowing that it was going to be referenced to Velma. I don't think everybody gets it, but we just put a photo up. It's pretty funny. It anyway, funny. we're not anyway. here to talk about doom and gloom of winter. We, are not. we love all of the seasons. Don't we? Well, we Isn't do. And you know what? You could be listening to this podcast and it's not even yes, cold. Well, that's so fine. this is the problem with talking about the weather. No, it's not a problem. It's just time, you know, time sensitive or whatnot. Anyway, great. Today, mm-hmm. we are going to talk about eating. Look, we have had episodes where we've had various people talk about nutrition and yep. lifestyle, yep. and but we haven't really had anybody in this vein. And we should let our guest introduce herself. I'm Trisha Nelson, and I'm an emotional eating coach, and that's what I talk about. I live and breathe the topic of emotional eating because I think it's the crux of so many health issues, especially weight issues. Mm. So, I mean, what's interesting is that I don't think anyone just wakes up and decides that they're going to create something called Heal Your Hunger. How did this start for you? Often there's either a personal journey or somebody that you know, and we'd love to hear a little bit along the lines of how you found yourself educating people in this area. Absolutely. Well, definitely personal. I found myself eating a lot first. <laughs> so, um, so I'm an emotional eater, and I, I think I was from the get-go, and so I just loved food. I loved everything about food. I loved to cook food and serve it to others and eat it and, you know, go out to restaurants, everything. So it was a big obsession of mine. And the problem with that, you know, it wouldn't have been a problem except that I gained weight really easily. So as, um, you know, a teenager and young adult, I was very um, overweight. So I was 50 pounds overweight. I'm not sure what that would translate to. Mm, um, 25 kilos. So that's, okay. yeah, yeah, that's a fair bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty heavy and and I hated it. And I had this roll on my tummy that I would scrunch up and I'd imagine slicing it off. Or I'd think about going to the military where they'd force me to, you know, exercise because I hated to exercise or get some terrible disease <laughs> where I'd like lose weight, you know, without trying. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy things. A you worm? Know, all because, uh, a worm, a all, parasite. All, did you want a parasite? <laughs> thought that might be the answer. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't think of that. So, um, but I, I basically was in this desperate place of wanting to lose weight and not being able to control my eating. And so, um, you know, I really thought I just liked food but somebody introduced the idea of emotion, being an emotional eater to me. And after that, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I 
at first was like, oh no, I just like food. But then I started to really see that my eating is not normal. Like I'd go out, uh, you know, to a restaurant with friends and they'd eat, you know, they'd eat their, their burger and pick at their fries and I'd eat my fries and pick at my burger. So, um, you know, and fries being potato, you know, whatever. I don't know if you guys have. Yes, <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. Fries. We, yeah, we're across fries. Yeah. Yeah. Mimic your, <laughs> okay. your, your, what you see is what you see over here as well in many mm-hmm. instances. Okay. Sorry, don't mean to be Not daft. at all. <laughs> I love that you think um, that Australia is this utopia where we don't have fries. <laughs> no, we no, just I, eat I, mung I, beans a lot. I don't, I don't doubt you have fries. We have chickpea fries. call them something different. <laughs> no, so, no, no, totally. Um, but anyway, so I eat a lot so, and I just love, sh- you know, sugar and carbs are my favourite thing to eat. And um, and I was overweight, obviously, on account of it. And nothing I tried really put a dent in my weight. Like I, I could lose weight temporarily, but I'd always put it back on. And I'd, you know, um, I'd lose weight for maybe two weeks, and then I'd have like five different pairs of pants, like sizes of pants, in my closet because I never knew where I was going to be on the scale. And so it was just really annoying and and frustrating. And I got to a point where I just felt hopeless, like nothing I have tried works. And, uh, you know, I was young, so I'm thinking, I can't do this for the rest of my life, yo-yoing up and down the scale. I knew how unhealthy that was. Um, and I just felt like, you know, any diet I tried, any, you know, exercise plan or pill or potion or lotion, or I tried it all and nothing worked for me. So what really uh, turned everything around for me is I met somebody who really explained to me that my problem had nothing to do with food and it had everything to do with the uh, what was going on inside of me, that food was really a symptom. And it made so much sense to me. And uh, what happened is I began to, uh, with this person's help, I began to identify and heal the underlying emotional causes. And then I began to, and then I developed like a self-care practice that fed my soul so that I wasn't hungry. I mean, truthfully, I wasn't really hungry physically. And so I I developed a self-care practice that fed me on a deeper level and that would give me, you know, freedom from stress and would help me, like give me something to draw on, like a bank account I could draw on when I was running low, you know, on money, so, so to speak. So it changed everything and I was able to lose the weight and keep it off. And that's been decades, um, you know, now. And, and so to heal your hunger, my business came from really uh, sort of outlining what it was I did to, um, to heal and live in a thin body and, and really show others how to do the same. And it's just been so, it's been so wonderful for people who have been like me, they've been trying all these things and just feeling like they can't get it. You know, it's such a frustrating thing and feeling like we're losers. Like we're we're the only ones who can't get it. But in truth, you know, 98% of all diets fail. So we're not the only ones, but Mm. this is really, you know, I developed a solution that, that works and it's so gratifying. Can I just go back to, you say this all started for you when you were a teenager um, and it was emotionally based. Do you think it was a bit self-fulfilling? Like, did you start off in an emotional space where you were not feeling good about yourself and then you ate and then you felt worse because you were eating and you didn't like the role and that whole thing? Or like what prompted it in the first place? It was before I was a teenager that I really, I think since back, as far back as I can remember, I was really obsessed with food. But 
adolescence did not help one bit, I'll tell you. Because as soon as I hit adolescence, you know, I got, I really, my weight really blew up and my face was like completely round and I was really unattractive, which was terrible in adolescence to be so unattractive. And, mm. um, and absolutely that cycle of, you know, hating my body and then just sort of beating myself up with food and then hating my body some more and then beating myself up some more. So, um, you know, and not feeling, you know, like I could make it with any of the, like the boys liked my friends better than they liked me, you know, all that terrible mm. adolescent stuff. But you know, I think we all go through added. that, don't we? I mean, that's being an yeah. adolescent and it's, I guess it's yeah. the way. That's what, the way we're nurtured throughout that period of in, in our life, I think. Yeah. And also different generation, like when we were growing up, I don't know about you, but for me, um, I grew up in the, you know, in the 80s where it was all about, you know, Jane Fonda and I just, that's what I knew. My mum was so obsessed with all of that. She really was. Yeah, and right. so that's what I knew to be yeah, normal. Had, had to be in Lycra. And we spoke about things very differently. We spoke about our bodies differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at any, I was having this conversation with my mother. We were talking about how you know, young women nowadays are really embracing yeah. what they have and they're happy to walk down shorts with their butt cheeks hanging out no matter mm-hmm. What size? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, power to you, girl. Like, there's no way. And my mum, it's really funny because it is a different generation. My mum yeah. was like, but what sort of message is that sending? If that was you, I would be saying, hey, I don't think that's healthy. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's really it hard. It is really hard, it? right? Because it's a fine line between self-love and accepting who mm. you are mm. and someone that is overweight and unhealthy. How do you have these these conversations without you know, setting up something that could potentially, because we all interpret things Be differently. Damaging. So mm. how do we speak to our, you know, younger generation about this? I'm I'm interested in learning so that we don't keep creating that same pattern. I think we've done something to shift things a little bit. Because, oh, definitely. Because definitely women are, young women are definitely embracing their bodies more. The different body sizes are so much more acceptable they than really are. they were. But you know what yeah. I find interesting in all of this is that, you know, you talk about emotional eating and I guess maybe there's people are on various ends of the spectrum. If I, to, talking about a Emotional eating, emotions turn off my hunger mechanism. Same, right? <laughs> so I actually go into a starvation mode. So I'm in the middle of, we're in the middle of putting a summit together. And let me tell you how much fun that is. And um, I, my husband said to me last night, are you going to actually eat something today? And I'm like, no, I cannot even think about it. No. Like, I cannot. I have no thought for food. Mm. The thought of it actually makes me feel sick. Mm. And it's just because I'm, mm. my cortisol and my adrenaline are out of control. And I know that. And I know it'll come back down again. But is everybody different? I think so mm. because I never had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> that is I, my reality I mean, though and my yo-yo is the opposite to that. So when I'm happy and content, that's when I will eat. Whereas when I'm stressed and overwhelmed, you need to do, yeah. I don't eat. Just get on with it. I just get on like Cecilia just sat down. She's like, is that your stomach rumbling? I'm like, mm. yep. Because mm. <laughs> I had a chance to stop. I'm glad you don't smoke because I think you oh, do gosh. a lot of smoking <laughs> 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 in this situation. Oh. Um, I do think though this, this idea that you say that you were unattractive. I bet you weren't, mm. you know, but you, I can remember having way. friends when I was a teenager, who were blonde, and I was never blonde. I was the brunette. And I was a I redhead. Come felt on, like the wingman, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> the redhead in the room. Yeah. Did any of us actually, at one point in time, feel attractive when we were growing up? I'd love to think no, about that's that. What I was going to say. I looked back at photos of my parents' house on the weekend. I was going through the photo albums, and every I'm like, oh man, you were ugly when you were 14. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember feeling ugly too. Like, I can relate to what you're saying, Trisha. Yeah, I mean, I think that. 
it just depends. I think if somebody grows up with a weight problem, you know, and they are bigger than their friends, I think it does impact their self-esteem. Like mm. my oldest sister, I'm, I'm the youngest of three girls and my oldest sister had a weight problem. And I, and then my middle sister was like a skinny as a beanstalk. And then I was overweight and our self-esteem, we ended up as adults with much different levels of self-esteem. Like my sister with, who never was fat, had much stronger self-esteem than my sister and I had. And so I think growing up with a weight problem definitely impacts your, your, your sense of yourself just yeah. because it isn't as socially acceptable. And I, of course I wasn't like ugly, ugly, but I felt ugly. And sometimes, you know, I mean, most of the time it really doesn't matter what the truth is from other people's eyes. It's how we're feeling, yeah. you know, and how we perceive ourselves and people can say all day long, Oh, you're, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. But if we don't feel it, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't penetrate. How do you identify whether you are actually an emotional eater? Well, emotional eating is, I mean, to be honest, you had mentioned the spectrum a little bit ago, and I think it's a great word because I think everybody is fundamentally an emotional eater. Like, I really think that we were made to have an emotional connection to food, mm. so we would subsist, you know, as a, as, a, as a species. And so I think God made us that way, um, but the spectrum is really... Uh, you know, wide so that so so people on the low end of the spectrum are might be an emotional eater where they like to eat overeat on ice cream now and then it just feels good and comforting or they're yummy pastries or whatever and you know they exercise a little bit more at the gym the next day no big deal you know or they go on vacation and they put on five pounds and then as soon as they come home and normalize their you know they're eating they get back to the regular weight but on the higher end of the spectrum I would say is more like somebody with a food addiction and so that's where I was I was way on the other side of the spectrum where I wasn't just an emotional eater I was really a food addict and I what that means is I would binge on large quantities of food and it would affect my weight. It would affect my health. It would affect my social engagements with people. Like when I binged, I didn't want to see anybody, know anybody, you know, I just hated myself and it definitely affected my, you know, how I, you know, my performance in school, um, in sports, um, everything. So it, it, you know, I believe everybody's on the spectrum, but you know, they, I mean, I have a quiz that they can take, people can take to figure out where they are on the spectrum because it's, you know, it's a different solution depending where, where you are. Like if somebody doesn't relate to, you know, really eating to the point of being stuffed or to hating themselves for their body size or whatever, they're not going to be obviously on the high end of the spectrum. Just going back to that though, you say when you were doing the emotional eating and you were in the binge sort of phase, you didn't want to see anybody. How do, physically though, how do you feel? Like I actually went to a friend's house yesterday and they put on an amazing spread. And at the end of the day, I was like, I am so full that physically I feel disgusting. Yes. And not because I was emotional. I was just excited. There was lots of food. It was delicious. <laughs> I got into it. I didn't have an emotional response, but I did have a physical response at the end of the day where I was like, oh, why did I do that? I actually feel so uncomfortable mm. now. So there's this kind of that element to it as well that mm. you start to go, what have I done to myself? Yes, yes. That perpetuates this idea that you're like, oh, I've got no control over myself and oh, we, we, why, why can't we just eat to survive? <laughs> well, probably because what we're eating now isn't actually the food that we were initially trying to eat to survive. Mm. So the richer the food, the more you crave it. The bland of the food, the less you Yeah, I mean, I believe there's, I mean, in, in my, you know, years of doing this, um, what I've seen is there are underlying drivers that people aren't necessarily aware of. 
Um, you know, again, if you once in a while stuff yourself, no big deal. It doesn't mean you're, you're like emotionally driven, but for people who, who are like perpetually overeating or they're obsessed with food 24 seven, obsessed with their bodies, always, you know, eating too much and then trying to work it off or whatever. Um, people like that are really driven by three primary emotions and, um, and I call it the pep check. And it's just an easy way for people to kind of check in with themselves to see if this is what's going on. Again, normally, it, you know, people just think I just like food, but after, probably after hearing this, it might, they, you know, their consciousness might shift a bit and they might think of this. So the PEP check is an, a PEP stands, uh, is an acronym. And the first P stands for painkiller. So, you know, if somebody is, uh, if they have, you know, buried uh, emotions, like they have pain from their childhood, they had a rough childhood and they've buried a lot of that pain. If they're on a, in, in a relationship that's, that's maybe abusive or um, unhealthy for them or some other situation, oftentimes they'll uh, just try to numb themselves, you know, and so pain, the P stands for painkiller. Um, the E stands for escape. So a lot of times people just want to eat to check out, which again, normal it's once in a while but if somebody is really uncomfortable in their skin and they really don't want to be present they just hate themselves they hate their lives they'll be eating much more frequently to try to check out and, and a lot of times that's on account of fear especially and emotional eaters i find have more fear than your average person like really? i had so much mm. so much worry and fear mm. yeah and so it's actually. just sort of sort of a height and it turns into anxiety so we're kind of wired that way for more worry and fear and anxiety. And so that's another reason why people um, use food, you know, in a, in a sort of addictive way. And then the last P in the PEP stands for punishment. And mm. people don't really think of this, you know, because they think of, you know, oh, I love food. It's a reward. It's yummy stuff. But if we're constantly eating to excess where we do feel sick and where we next day don't want to go out with friends and we don't fit into our pants, that's it turns into more of a form of punishment. So it's like, why would I do such a thing to myself? And the underlying cause is really guilt. And so oftentimes we use food to beat ourselves up if we're feeling bad about something, um, guilty about something, or just sort of have this overall sense that we're you know, that we are guilty, you know, sometimes it's just not based on anything in reality. It's just that we grew up just sort of thinking, um, that we're bad, you know? Um, and so these primary drivers like pain and fear and guilt can be underlying people's, um, behaviors around food. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break in this podcast, but I feel like we've got a lot more things to uh, find out in just a moment. We've been just talking about, you know, the I think the idea that we're all a little bit different. However, there are these characteristics that often you might use to identify somebody who really is an emotional eater. I think that's great because I think listeners can probably relate or not relate. It's one or the other. Mm. You're going to either be able to say, yeah, that's me, mm. um, or wow, that's really interesting. Um, but... I think that that's particularly useful for people to be able to associate or identify whether this might resonate with them. But what about if it resonates with someone that you love? Like I always find this really interesting that, you know, in the Wellness Collective we talk to some just extraordinary people and, and have all this information at hand that makes you go, wow, okay, I think that that's a bit of me or, oh, I can see that in my friend. If you've got someone in your life that is doing this, how do you approach it? How do you say to them, do you think there's a problem with your emotional eating? I mean, 
it's really tricky, isn't it? It is tricky. You know, it's a great question. Um, you know, oftentimes it's good. I mean, it's hard, you know, if somebody has a weight problem, it's hard to say, gee, you ought to do something about that. Cause they've probably heard it before mm-hmm. and they really don't want to hear it. You know, like it's, it's sort of like a lot of people who are overweight, um, tell me, you know, like, gee, it's like, people just feel like it's a, it, like I'm free game for them. Like, like I, because I'm overweight, if they have the right to tell me how to live, you know, or how to eat. And it's because it's a real sensitive issue. So, um, you know, I, I really think that, um, the better approach um, is really just sort of to wait till somebody, if somebody complains about their weight or complains about how they feel, um, that's obviously an opening where somebody could say something. Um, but also just, um, you know, uh, I, for instance, have a book on emotional eating that somebody might suggest that somebody, you know, they could say, I read this and it's really great. You know, it talks nothing about dieting, you know, which is, I find people who are overweight are so turned off by anyone talking to them about how to eat Yeah, because they are so sick of dieting. You know, it's like they've tried every diet. It hasn't worked for them. It's not going to work. I mean, 90% of all diets fail because it's just, you know, you can't slap on a diet when somebody has these emotional issues that are driving them to crave, you know, sugar and starch. So um, it's really important um, not to talk to them about how to eat or, or to go on another diet or offer a diet plan to them because they're, they feel hopeless. Like in, in their heart of hearts, they're like, I can't follow a diet, mm. you know, like that's not going to work for me. I've tried that. It won't work. So they don't want to be set up for failure once again. Um, and so I find that the best thing is to, th- is to tell them, you know, I, I heard this podcast or I read this book or, you know, I know this, I know this woman who, um, <laughs> you know, was 50 pounds overweight and she, um, you know, she didn't go on a diet. She didn't lose weight, the 50 pounds by dieting. She did it actually in a different way. And that's by really going within and healing, you know, herself from the inside out. And, that you know, it, it, offering a, a refreshingly different approach might be the best thing for that person because they're, they really cannot follow a diet or mm. an exercise plan. And that's the last thing they want to be told about. Mm. What was the thing that resonated with you that made you realize that this is something that you could do? Um, I think the news that my, my problem had nothing to do with food, um, or weight was really refreshing for me. Like, like I was so tired of trying to follow a food plan and then busting out over and over and over again, like just lasting for two weeks or a month and then just going back to my old ways. So for somebody to tell me that my problem really like that, that like, it's not about the food. Like, it's just stop that. It's not about the food was like, Oh, thank goodness you know, thank goodness. And, um, and to be, you know, frankly, I knew it was a deeper, it was a deeper problem. You know, people who just start out trying to lose weight, they always go on a diet. That's always the first place you start. It makes sense, you know, eat less, exercise more. I'm going to do that and I'll lose weight and I'll be fine. But if somebody's an emotional eater, you know, and, and they can't follow that and that doesn't work, they're going to start trying lots of different things. And, um, you know, over the years, People try things, hopefully they'll get deeper in the things they try. Like they'll read self-help books. They'll maybe go to therapy. They'll go to a 12-step program. They'll try these different things. Um, You know, at least they're starting to look deeper than just the physical, you know? And so for me, 
um, it was refreshing to know that my problem was deeper and it wasn't physical, you know, like that, that resonated for me. And emotional eaters are very deep feelers. Um, you know, they, they have, they, they, they're sensitive. They have, they're emotional, they're emotional eaters, of course. And so, um, and so uh, talking about things that are, have more depth is always going to resonate with somebody who's hurting and, and ready for a solution that is deeper, you know, so a spirit, spiritual message, emotional, you know, discussion about one's emotions, that's going to be like music to one's ears because they're so sick of just the physical diet, exercise, you know, uh, calories and, and all that kind of thing. So does any of that actually ever weigh in with what you take your clients through? Like, do you, is there any of what you do about actual eating? Um, what I find, um, is that, and the answer is yes, uh, but not a whole lot because what I find is people who know they're an emotional eater have done a lot of research. Again, they've been on this search for a long time and they tend to already have a lot of information. Like they've been reading books, they've been trying to fix themselves, right? So they're reading the books, they read the diet books, they read the nutrition books. And so they've, they've got a head full of knowledge, but an inability to apply it. Mm. And that's the hardest thing is to know what you're supposed to eat and not be able to do it because you really just want to eat, you know, candy and and goodies, you know, so. We are um, terrible, aren't we, to ourselves when you think about it? You know, logically, that what you need to do is stop eating those things that you mm -hmm. love but make you feel so terrible. Mm. But that self-control or that ability to control your thoughts, mm, really, mm. you would attain so much in yourself by being able to achieve what you want to do, but you, you can't. It's it's such a difficult place to find yourself. Mm. Well, and that's why going deeper is so important. That's why, like you said, paying attention to one's thoughts. I mean, I have a system I lay out for people and it starts first thing in the morning. It starts first thing in the morning. We have to start a self-care practice that can feed our soul. Because, you know, the hardest time of the day for emotional eaters is, you know, five o'clock on at night. And that's because we have zero willpower left, like zero, like we're tired, we're stressed, and we're just like reaching, you know, just unconsciously for food for quick energy. Mm. And so uh, I find that if you start your day um, with meditation, with prayer, with some spiritual practices that can kind of get you centered and balanced, um, you know, it, it makes such a big difference because later in the day, you're not depleted. Like you've already filled up, you know, as I said, you, you, you put money in the bank that you can draw on later in the day when you're stressed, when, when the, the tension is piled up. Mm. So um, it's just really important. Like you can't just not eat. Like that mm, just doesn't no. <laughs> work. Take notice, Nash. Right? Right. Yeah. 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 You know, it's not so sustainable. Yeah. I don't like, you know, not eat forever. It's no, just I when know. I'm stressed out. <laughs> just when you've got a few things on your <laughs> No, but, but, it's, but if people, you know, what I find is people do have a self-care routine um, that they invest in and it does, it's an investment of time and it's, it doesn't just happen. Like we have to actually prioritize our self-care, mm. you know, in order to make it happen. But if we do that, if we realize the benefits of that, then we can draw on that, what we've put in the bank, so to speak, instead of just drawing on a quick hit, you know, of food. 
the um the idea of self care too is something that we've touched on a few times with different guests, and I think on the surface you go, oh yeah, okay, well you know who's got the time? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to cost me a hundred bucks a week to go to five yoga classes and yada yada yada. But I think you're right. I've I've been working on it a bit, and if you can just take five minutes when you wake up in the morning, and you know, breathe Absolutely. and goodness, say, yes. you know, what are the good things that are going to happen yes. today? You know, and actually try and focus yourself so that you don't start off straight away spiraling. under the pump, spiraling at <laughs> 6.30 spirals, in the morning. Yes. You know, like that, that's something that's really actually quite easy to achieve. So if you do it in kind yes. of tiny increments, mm. you all of a sudden feel like, hey, hang on, I've, I've got a handle on this. Just quickly, Trisha, can I ask you, in your experience, is a, an alcohol addiction, I'm not talking about alcoholic, but, you know, like the idea of reaching for a glass of wine at five o'clock to combat what you're feeling, is that the same sort of thing as a food addiction or do you think it's different? Um, I don't think it's really that different. I think it's just like life is hard, life is stressful, and we're looking for ways to get through, Mm. you know? And so, um, and none of it's bad. Reaching for ice cream is not bad. Reaching for alcohol is not bad. It, it really depends, again, back to that spectrum. It depends on what it does to you, you know? Mm. If one glass of wine makes you feel relaxed and it, it, you enjoy your evening, then, like, enjoy. <laughs> but mm. if... Um, if one glass becomes you, the bottle, then that's a problem. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. And then you're not present for your kids because you're just like, I just need another glass of wine. <laughs> I really don't want to be bothered, you know? Mm. That's when it starts to ha- be a problem. If you start having health issues because of it, that's when it becomes a problem. And there are healthier means of de-stressing. Um, it's just, you know, some people can handle it and some people can't, you know, and I couldn't like I, one glass of wine was never enough for me. Mm. Like I just always ended up drinking the bottle Mm. and, you know, one, you know, one small bowl of ice cream was never enough for me. I wanted the whole pint. So, um, so it's just a matter of one's habits, but, you know, I think in general, we're all stressed out and Mm. we all need to find healthier ways to combat that stress because, it, you know, there are healthy ways and there are unhealthy ways. These are conversations I think are really nice to have because just someone else's perspective. And like I said, I would never have thought about, I'm not an emotional eater, clearly. You're an emotional <laughs> starver. <laughs> so I think that it's good. I think it's good to have these conversations. Trisha, we're out of time, but um, we've absolutely loved chatting with you. Do you want to let our audience know where they can find you? Sure. It's uh, My website is healyourhunger.com. That's H-E-A-L, healyourhunger.com. And I do have a on there that'll tell uh, you whether you're an emotional eater or a food addict and where you are in the spectrum so you know what to do about it. So I definitely recommend that to folks if they're Mm. curious. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you gals. You take care. All right, I'm going to go make her eat lunch now, just so you know. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Self-care first. Oh, my goodness. Well, there you go. So your emotional eating is something that you can actually do something about. That's good to know. Totally. Or you might know somebody who this is, you know, gently, I guess. You, <laughs> how do you do that? I <laughs> don't know. Just good advice. Listen just to this play podcast. It on the, play it, just play it in the car when you're picking them up and dropping them off somewhere. You know what? Someone's listening to that going, hang on, someone told me to listen to this. <laughs> Maybe I've got a problem with emotional eating I didn't know about. That's so funny. Oh, dear. Anyway, we are... Very uh, happy that you've listened to this episode today. All the way to the end. Yes. Jump onto our Instagram, Collective The Wellness. You can find out what's going on and send us a message if you like. Mm-hmm. And leave uh, a review on uh, iTunes. Thanks very much. That would be very nice. Thank you very much. Until next time, we hope you're feeling happier 
healthier and better. 